Hello, and welcome to episode 20 of the Decarceration Nation podcast, a podcast about radically reimagining America's criminal justice system. I'm Josh Ho. Among other things, I'm formerly incarcerated, a freelance writer, criminal justice reform advocate, and the author of the book, Writing Your Own Best Story, Addiction and Living Hope. First, the news. Next week will be a big week for the podcast and for me. I'll be interviewing Harvard professor of sociology Bruce Western about his new book, Homeward, Life in the Year After Prison. In addition, I'll be in Washington, D.C. at the ACLU Membership Conference. That should be a good time. And perhaps most important, two of my good friends, Caroline and Luke, are getting married this weekend right before I leave for D.C. I'm looking forward to going to that wedding. Okay, this episode is about the cancellation of the Statesville Correctional Center's debate team. And so let's get right to my interview with Katrina Burlett. So I was going through news stories that I get about criminal justice and prison reform, and I came across this story about a debate team inside the Statesville prison in Illinois. The story obviously piqued my interest, given my background as a former debate coach and debater, so I dived in. Let me read some of the, some of the quotes from the popular press story that I found. Last month, Illinois Department of Corrections officials abruptly suspended a popular debate class for inmates at Stateville Correctional Center, roughly one month after the participants in the class debated the state's parole laws for an audience of state officials, including 18 legislators and a handful of journalists and other members of the public. Prison officials decided to suspend the program after the debate. The decision was not made public until after WGN-TV aired a laudatory segment on the class run by a volunteer, Katrina Burlett, Injustice Watch reporters had attended the debate and were notified of its suspension from an inmate as ripples of shock went up among prisoners at the Stateville prison. Burlett said she has been suspended from entering Illinois prison facilities. Here's another quote. Corrections officers offered no explanation to Injustice Watch. Corrections spokeswoman Lindsay Hess said in an emailed statement that the department appreciates the time Ms. Burlett dedicated to the program but has chosen to end the relationship. The statement also said the department is aware that the program was well-received, has positive attributes, and it is currently under review. Finally, Hess did not respond uh, to requests to elaborate further on ending the relationship with Burlett or putting the program under review, nor would eight other officials explain further. Five officials from the Illinois Department of Corrections and the Stateville Correctional Center did not respond to requests for comment regarding the stalled program. One official declined to comment, and two who responded to requests for comment were not granted permission by the department to talk further to Injustice Watch reporters. Okay, so as I started to dig, one of the first names I saw was the one that was mentioned above, Katrina Burlett, uh, the woman who was coaching the team before it was canceled. I started looking around for information about her. I found her on social media. She got back to me, and she was nice enough to agree to doing an interview. Katrina is a former legislative aide, former assistant director of debate at Wheaton College, former debate coach at Hinsdale High School, and currently is the founder and director of the Justice Debate League, which is dedicated to teaching debate in prisons. You can find more information about the Justice Debate League at justicedebateleague.org. Hello, Katrina. Hey, Josh. How are you doing? Really good. I'm happy to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Thanks so much for uh, accepting my invitation. So incarcerated and formerly incarcerated folks like myself have a saying, nothing about us without us. When I was researching this case, I saw the following quote by you. I was first on a competitive debate team in college, and we were engaging in a lot of debates about the criminal justice system, she, you, said. I felt like the fact that no one from the criminal justice system was involved in them was a very big hole that needed to be filled. I love that you had that perspective. Can you talk more about what you how you got involved in debate in prison and why it's so important to you? 
Yeah, I well, well, like I said, I felt like we were having a lot of discussions about the criminal justice system. And I, I actually feel like this is a problem with the entire debate community and all of the issues that we address that we're really, really good at talking about it um, and not so great at uh, doing anything about it or really engaging um engaging the voices and ideas of people who are outside of the debate community and actually most impacted by these issues uh, into those debates and conversations. Um, so I felt like it was it was time to expand and uh, see what people who are actually incarcerated had to say and felt like a good way to do that would be just bringing them into the debate community. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And how did you originally get involved in teaching prisoners to debate? I just kind of started doing it. I um, did some training to become a volunteer at a youth prison near where I live. And I, I went in and planned to become um, just, just a regular volunteer, hop on another, another program and help out and get to know the system and people in there. But um, I got in and during my orientation, the guy was like, okay, so uh, the group that you you're going to be volunteering with they do arts and crafts. And I was like, Oh no, (laughs) like I'm I'm so glad that that's happening, but you do not want me to help lead arts and crafts. I cannot color inside the lines. Um, I was like, is there another, (laughs) is there another program that I can help with? And uh, the volunteer coordinator there was like, well, uh, you can just start your own program. Like, what do you, what do you want to do? What can you teach uh, the kids in here? And I was like, well, in the, in the outside world, I'm a debate coach. And he was like, that would be so cool. Can you do that for us? And uh, so immediately, um, like the first time I went into the prison, I just started coaching debate. That was last April. Okay. And so what was the, pro- for you who had not been in prison or incarcerated, what was, how was it like going into a prison for the first time for you? Uh, it was very different in the youth facility and in the adult facility. So I had, um, I started going into a youth facility. It's a youth prison in Warrenville, Illinois. And it, I was actually really surprised, um, like pleasantly so, by the kind of culture in there and um, how focused the juvenile justice system was on rehabilitation and um, allowing these kids to have whatever opportunities they possibly could. So um, going in there the first time and kind of seeing the um, generally positive relationships that existed between correctional officers and the kids in there was um kind of gave me some hope, especially after uh, what I had heard about the criminal justice system. And um, yeah, I, it, I mean, it's definitely not perfect. And I've, I've learned a, a lot about the problems of the juvenile justice system uh, since I started going in there. But honestly, it, it is a lot better than I expected it to be. Um, but going into the adult facility for the first time, um, and and then at this point having had like six months of experience within the juvenile system, I I think I had now like really high expectations of how good it would be. Um, thinking that like the media, press, the press, the things that I had read maybe uh, were a mischaracterization of really how awful things were, and um, no, pretty pretty much from the the first time I stepped in there, I was like there are really not words to capture how horrible this is. 
the the conditions are so bad and no amount of media uh, could do justice to how poorly the people in here are treated. And obviously, one of the things we'll get to in a little bit is the notion of transparency in general, but that's the part the public really doesn't see very often, right, is exactly how bad it really is. Yeah. So the participants in your class, one of you were just talking about juveniles, one of them was a juvenile uh, lifer, right? At least one. Yeah, yeah, a handful of them are actually. Okay. So the participate participants in your class were originally chosen by the chaplain at the facility, is that correct? Yes. And he was also the person who suggested the topic for the public debate would be criminal justice related, is that correct? Yeah. And uh, was there a discussion or anything about how that would be a problem or not a problem? Um, not at all, actually. I um, <laughs> I went in there and when I pitched the idea to him and explained what exactly debate is and what I wanted to uh, teach people in there, he was like, wow, that all sounds really good. I'm, I'm very much in favor of people learning logic and philosophy and rhetoric. Um, he was like, but I don't like these topics you've given. Uh, they were they were like international relations issues and uh, diving into like some of the abuses in uh, different like sports leagues and stuff like that. And he was like, yeah, most of these guys in here are spending, if not their entire life, the majority of their life in here. So they should be debating topics that pertain to the criminal justice system, things that actually relate to their life. So um, he was like, just please debate criminal justice issues. And like that, that was the end of the discussion. And I didn't want to push back on it at all because that's what I wanted to be able to debate. Obviously that's what I want to hear their, um, their opinions about. I wanted to learn from them as much as I could. And so, uh, I just rolled with it. And so the idea was you got together with the people that he'd chosen and how long did you all prepare before you had this debate before the legislators? We had six months um, so we, I started in October and it was at the end of March. Okay. And so then the debate happens and about how many legislators were there? About 20. That's a pretty good turnout. Um, I've read a couple of uh, accounts from different people who I guess were in your class. And so let me read a quote from one of your students about what they argued during the debate. Bernard mm-hmm. McKinley, convicted of shooting uh, Serna Ibarra on his way to a soccer game, was one member of the debate class. He described at the event the emotional numbness he felt as a young adult facing a hundred-year sentence. Soft-spoken and bespeckled, he said he's trying to better himself in prison, participating in a letter-writing program and completing paralegal training. In two days, he would start taking a DePaul University course in the hopes of one day getting a bachelor's degree and attending law school. He made a plea to legislators to allow inmates like him to get a chance at parole. There are other stories out there that are better than mine, he said. Uh, so when I read that, I don't think of anything particularly objectionable. Was there anything improper, uncivil or inappropriate said during the debate? Not at all. No, the guys were so articulate and, uh, had really, really good ideas and, um, they, they expressed them very well and very fairly, I believe. And, um, and yeah, nothing they said was really controversial. Like we we just used a whole lot of facts and the majority of uh, the facts that we presented were actually from the Illinois Department of Corrections, um, like reports and uh, things that they had put out. So there wasn't, um, yeah, th- there wasn't really anything uh, dramatic or inappropriate that, that came out during the debate. That's uh, interesting because, I mean, ultimately, I guess before the debate, 
according to at least one of the articles I read, that said there was an email chain that they didn't uh, like the way you were inviting legislators or something like that. Could you elaborate on that? Yeah. So we initially were um, set up to do the debate in December and we were prepared to have that debate at that time. And uh, it was like December 15th, I believe. And as soon as I knew that was the case, I had immediately started inviting people because you have to get all of the information into the prison 60 days prior uh, to the event that you want to bring them in for. So I actually specifically asked the prison uh, if there was a special system for inviting legislators. And they said, no, you need all the exact same information. You have to get their uh, name, their date of birth, and their social security number. And I like asked again, I was like, are you sure? Because it feels very inappropriate for me to ask that of legislators. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I would rather not. And they were like, nope, we need that. If they're going to come in, we have to run a background check and that's that's what we need. And so I was like, okay. And um, we had nine legislators who were uh, set to attend, who all um, were really excited about the opportunity and uh, actually like so excited that they were willing to give me, a perfect stranger, their social security numbers. I was floored. But um, but they were all really eager to hear what these men had to say, which was so encouraging. And uh, I ended up getting an email from the guy who is supposed to uh, be the liaison between the department and the legislature 11 days prior to the event saying, um, I am shutting this down. You have done this incorrectly. Uh, you went through the wrong avenues. I am the one who needs to okay all of this. And I do not like... I'm not okaying these legislators to come in. uh, So this event cannot happen. And I was like, well, like now you tell me how to do this. And I had asked multiple times before, like 60 days in advance. And, um, and so I asked him directly, I was like, okay, well, I hope to do this in the future. So please alert me as to the exact uh, way that I need to get this done. And, um, so that I can bring in legislators in the future. And he was like, I just need the names of the legislators 10 days in advance. And I was like, oh. So what was different between that? You gave more information than that in more time. Exactly. Um, So I... They, they have never explained that to me. And that man obviously had the exact information that he needed 11 days in advance. So, yeah, there's... um, yeah, th- there was never any explanation for that, never any attempt to explain that even. Um, but it, it, it ended up not getting shut down, though. Uh, so we were allowed to bring in eight people to see that debate on December 15th. We had about 75 people who were set to come in. And uh, yeah, that, then they shut the entire thing down. And I argued in favor of it still being able to happen. And um, so they were like, okay, you can bring in less than 10 people. And uh, so I had to, you know, shut down 65 of the people who wanted to come. And uh, yeah, so then I was like, all right, but you know, when you let us do this next time, like, I'm going to bring such a crowd, you're not going to know what to do with it. So, um, So I'll go ahead. So they also didn't want you to make a tape so that the other legislators could see it or any other legislators who were interested, correct? Correct. Did they have a reason for that? Or 
Yes. Um, so then we we did end up having the debate um, on March 21st. And we had, tw- like I said, 20 legislators came. And um, this time we had about 250 people who wanted to come. And they were like, uh, like right before the event, they were like, no more than 30 people from the general public. And I was like, wow, you guys really need to work on your communication. <laughs> but Anyway, we that's a, that comes as a great surprise to anyone who's listening who's been incarcerated. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but we, um, so we held the debate on the twenty first. It was very successful, and the woman who runs the department made a surprise visit to our class two weeks later, and um, apparently this was just totally unprecedented, and it felt extremely bizarre. But she came in, she had a little entourage with her, and she shut the doors to the classroom, uh, which is a big no-no. So I was like, oh my gosh, something's about to go down. And it did. (laughs) She was like, it was honestly like out of a cartoon. It was, um, she was like, just talking about how she could shut the class down and uh, bragged about how she threatened a representative at the debate. And, uh, you know, I don't really like what you guys are doing. You're stepping on my toes. And I've been trying to do what you guys are doing here for the last 13 years. And I've been doing it quietly and secretly. And um, I don't like that you're getting attention. And I don't want the rest of the legislature to hear what you guys are saying. So no, we will not debate this or we will not tape this debate under any circumstances. And uh, she was just, it was so rude. And it was, <laughs> it was um, shocking, actually, how honest she was, like, especially when she was bragging about threatening a, a legislator. I was like, this is not real. Like, why, why is this happening? Um, I don't know how a department gets to a point where someone feels like they can do that. Like, that's an okay thing. But um, that's the Illinois well, Department of Corrections. I did look this up, and I'm pretty sure that the Illinois Department of Corrections also controls the parole budget. Is that correct? Um, I don't know that, uh, honestly. Sorry. Uh, Well, at least the stuff I found seems to suggest that they control the Department of Parole. So uh, that would seem like one possible explanation, I would think, is that, you know, the idea of uh, reforming parole would have an effect potentially on them. I don't know if that's the case. I'll try to contact them. Mm-hmm. Uh, although they obviously haven't been answering a lot of questions on this one so far. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So after this is all over, uh, they wait until after this television uh, segment is filmed, and then they tell you both that there will be no more debate club or team or whatever they're calling it in mm-hmm. the prison. And then they also say you can no longer be in Illinois prisons. Is that correct? Yeah. So um, they had actually called me the Friday before they banned me to say, hey, congratulations. We just had a meeting with all of the leadership in the IDOC, and we've decided that we're definitely going to tape the debate um, because we were planning to have a recreation of the debate for um, an inmate-only audience on like the, the following Thursday. And uh, our hope from the beginning had been that we would be able to do that so we could videotape it so the whole world could see how awesome these guys are. And uh, so I was delighted um, when I got that call and just like overjoyed. Like I, I think I was actually jumping up and down. <laughs> and, um, but during the same call, the woman who was talking to me informed me that um, after that, that would be the last time I would be allowed to interact with these guys. Um, that they really like my program, but um, 
they would uh, they would like me to move to an adjacent facility where all of the guys are like they they cycle through pretty quickly. Like no one spends more than like two years in there, um, so that they could you know test whether the program had positive recidivism outcomes. And um, I said, okay, like in exchange for actually getting their voices out there, like I will I will make this concession. I will like go teach a different group of guys. And um, yeah, then the night before uh, that Thursday, they gave me another call and said, we are not, we are not going to tape this debate under any circumstances. And um, there will not be a debate to be videotaped. And I was like, oh, that's weird. So, but hold on. So they said they were going to move you to an adjacent facility and then they just totally killed it all. Is that what you're saying? Yes. Um, so, uh, well, they, they just killed the recreation of the debate, um, or that's what they told me on Wednesday. And then that Thursday evening is um, one of the times during the week when I go to the juvenile facility to coach the team there. And so I showed up at the juvenile facility that night, um, and they were like, uh, Katrina, you have been banned from all Illinois prisons. <laughs> and uh, I was totally shocked because, I mean, the, the woman had explicitly told me earlier, like, um, this debate is not happening. Like, there will not be, like, yeah, we're, we're not going to do this recreation of the debate. And so she had me on the phone. And so why she didn't tell me then, like, hey, we're actually kicking you out of this department altogether. <laughs> I have no idea. But actually, I've heard since then that this is their uh, their typical MO, that they don't tell people that they're kicking them out. So they show up and are humiliated when they have to leave. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. Right. Especially you're doing volunteer work, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh boy. Departments of corrections. Okay. So in the aftermath of this, there've been some stories that suggested, I know like a lot of people might already know that like when someone's a successful jailhouse lawyer or have caused some problems for the department, they'll often move them as a way of splitting them up for their from their clients and stuff. I've read in a couple recounts that uh, in the aftermath of this, there were some threats to move some of the members of the team to other facilities. Is that uh, continued or is that uh, settled down? Yeah. So that actually happened on April 3rd when the assistant director for the whole department came in and was talking about all of her threats. Um, so she she was basically insinuating that she could transfer the guys to other facilities, which is obviously true. She operates with total impunity and um, can just transfer the guys whenever she wants to. And um, so in the midst of like all of these other threats of like, um, I can shut down your class. Um, I threatened this representative and she was like, and some of you might be misplaced here. You might be better suited in Menard, which is um, like Stateville is a really, really bad prison. I can't imagine anything worse, but I've heard Menard is like Stateville squared. So, And in the aftermath, there hasn't been any other exp- – I, I wasn't able to find any explanation for the thing aside from this notion that the program hadn't been proven uh, to reduce recidivism. Uh, has there been any other official explanation that I've missed? Nope. Um, just 
yeah, so so that would be her definition of evidence based. That um, in order for a program to exist, it has to be evidence based, which means it will definitely lead to positive recidivism outcomes. Well, I have a weird question on that. If most yep. of the people in the class have life without parole sentences, how could you ever test that theory? Exactly. Um, and so when I talked to her about it directly, I actually went into her office to like um, appeal the decision to uh, relieve me of that class. And uh, when I was in there, that was the very first thing that she brought up. She was like, your class is not evidence-based because all of your men are going to die in prison. And um, basically the programming is wasted on them. And uh, I was infuriated. So so the argument she's making is that that's just, boggles the mind uh yeah basically she's she's saying that people who can't get out could never have programming or should never have programming because it should only go to people who can get back out again is that correct exactly and since she and i have had that conversation the department has actually started taking steps in that direction of removing the programming from people with longer sentences and um, taking as much program. They, they've canceled a handful of programs actually from um, Stateville and uh, another, uh, another set of downstate prisons and um, are relocating as many programs as they can to minimum security facilities um, so that it's only the people who are going to be released like within the next year who are going to have access to programming. Wow. Yeah. So nightmarish. Oh my goodness. Okay. I could talk for an hour about problems with that. I'm sure you have gone through all this before. So recently you held or ha- or holding a hashtag let Stateville debate press conference. Did you already have that? Yes. Yes, we did. And how did that go? Phenomenal. I loved it. I never had a press conference before and uh, <laughs> it, it, w- it was invigorating and so encouraging. So many people showed up, so much media showed up. Um, we, we had a handful of speakers. I spoke about how, um, y- you know, what, what seems to be the real reason that I was banned from prison, which is, you know, connecting uh, legislators to inmates who are extremely articulate and bright and um, able to meaningfully contribute to society <laughs> and uh, in, in such a way that would lead to, um, like at its culmination, would lead to a whole bunch of people being released from prison. So uh, I'm like number one on the IDOC's least wanted list. <laughs> but um, but then we had other speakers like um, Lucy Kane spoke. She's with the Prison Neighborhood Arts Project. Uh, talked about the value of programming in prisons and the importance of programming for people with long and life sentences. Um, and then we had two formerly incarcerated men speak about the value of um, the programs that they had access to while they were incarcerated and how it's impacted their life since then. Um, but for me, the highlight of the event was when one of our debaters actually called one of his family members who was at the who was at the press conference and we put him on speakerphone and he was able to speak and address everyone at the press conference and share about um, exactly what he wanted to say which is uh, it's been my goal from the beginning is for people to be able to hear the voices and ideas of um, people who are actually incarcerated so for that to be a reality was um, 
a really, really exciting moment for me. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, is there anything else you'd like to say? How can people help? Yeah. So um, that guy is uh, who called in, his name is Eugene Ross. And he is just a phenomenal human being. He is a leader among his peers. He is, um, he just cares so much about justice. He's, he's a juvenile lifer. Um, and he, he just cares so much about advocating for the other guys that he's with. And, um, yeah, just a heart of gold. And, uh, immediately after he spoke at the press conference, um, he was taken into um, segregation. So uh, his cellmate actually called his family like 20 minutes after the press conference was over and was like, hey, just so you know, they just came, took all of Eugene's belongings, uh, put him in handcuffs. There were about 10 correctional officers and they like marched him out of here and uh, they won't tell us where they've (sighs) taken him. Um, So he ended up being released from segregation the following day. Uh, no idea how that decision was made. But um, now what we're doing is asking people to send him letters in support. Um, so his name is Eugene Ross, and he's at Stateville Correctional Center. And um, I should probably look up his prisoner number so people can actually write letters. But the uh, the idea is just to write him letters to say, hey, we support your freedom of speech and we commend your bravery and we will not accept um, this kind of inappropriate response from the department of corrections. And uh, the hope there is that Eugene would not only be encouraged, but literally everyone in Stateville is tracking what's going on with Eugene now. So for every letter he receives, everyone's going to know that that's a letter in support of the freedom of speech in prison and that there are people out here who want to hear from the people in there. Absolutely. Absolutely. Should we also, is there any value to sending letters to the department of corrections? Um, I mean, yeah, it can't hurt. <laughs> um, they obviously have a, I, have a crack bang PR staff there. So, <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> they are brilliant. It's it's shocking, but um, nothing says yeah, this PR like right after someone speaks at a press conference, put them in so- in solitary, right immediately with a whole bunch of fanfare. Yeah. <laughs> Great, but um. Yeah, I would say if you're going to take the time to send a letter to the Illinois Department of Corrections, the most effective kind of letter you can send is actually a FOIA request. Um, We are trying to get access to emails that uh, were sent about the canceling of my program. And um, word on the street is that they're just... um, have some really uh, horrendous things in them. And so we're trying to get them out. And so uh, if you want to send a FOIA request to the Illinois Department of Corrections, you know, ask for emails that were sent about Katrina Burlett's debate class in the month of April. See what comes up. Huh. We'll just uh, try, try to force some information out of them. So, Well, I really, I mean, thanks so much for all the work you're doing and for being willing to go into the prisons and teach debate, which is, you know, obviously something very important to me. Uh, It's been great Mm -hmm. to talk to you in person and thanks again for doing this. Yeah, Josh, thank you so much for having me. No problem. Hope we'll get to talk again. Definitely. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks to Katrina for that great interview. Now my take. I was a competitive debater for almost all of high school and all of college. I was a debate coach from graduation from college in 1991 until my arrest in 2010. 
Why did debate become such a huge part of my life? First, for the first time in my life, a teacher suggested that instead of reading the bare minimum about a topic, I should read literally everything that I could find until there was nothing left to read. This notion of jumping in and devouring everything I could find about a topic, as opposed to just reading the cliff notes, was incredibly appealing to me. I was so bored by being handed a book with little snippets about events and theories. I wanted to know everything about an issue, not just the least possible. Second, competitive debate teaches you a respect for the arguments of the opposition. You start, you learn to start with the strongest arguments of your opponents and build your arguments and talking points out from there. You can't know the best arguments of your opponent or offer them respect if you stayed locked in your silo. Over time, when you operate in argumentative spaces like this, your opponents become friends, and even when you disagree, you still push each other to discover the best arguments and uncover the truth. Hopefully, this podcast is becoming an example of this. I frequently invite liberal and conservative guests, and even when I disagree, I listen in a form of respect. Third, debate teaches people to learn how to evaluate the strengths and weaknesses of research and argumentation. Because of debate, I understand how to evaluate arguments, studies, etc., and compare them against, uh, compare their, and contrast their strengths and weaknesses. Way too often, people get frustrated because there are facts on both sides of every issue. I hear that all the time. Sometimes the world is exactly that complex, but more often than not, some evidence is better than other evidence, and being able to understand things like comparing methodologies, sample sizes, and checking peer review is like a decoder ring that lets you separate the facts from the fiction. Finally, Participating in competitive debate teaches you to encourage discussion. Debaters don't run from discussions or fear the consequences of access to information or of discussing ideas. Why in the world would we not want to find the best possible answers to the problems of the day or the best possible solutions to the problems we face as a society? My question in this context is why in the world would the Illinois Department of Corrections not want their inmates to start learning these skills? Why would the Illinois Department of Correction not want prisoners to learn a more rational process of discernment and discovery? If you read the articles about the Statesville debate team, Katrina was teaching them to try to understand where the justice system and their victims and the families of the victims were coming from, not just their own perspective in, in a vacuum. They were learning not just to advocate for themselves, but also to try to understand the pain and suffering that they had caused and why the justice system treated them harshly. My guess, and I could be wrong, is hard to know for sure since the Department of Corrections doesn't seem to want to talk about the Statesville debate team at all, so who knows what they're actually thinking. Anyway, my guess is that they're afraid that debate will make these prisoners better thinkers and better advocates for change. It appears from the press coverage that some of the legislators that were in attendance at the debate event were persuaded by what the inmates were arguing and starting to think about re instituting parole, which would be a great idea in my opinion. This is, But this seems to be exactly what the Illinois Department of Corrections was afraid of. Regardless, it would be hard to argue that teaching people better research and argumentation skills and providing them with better information, maybe for the first time, and also the skills to speak in public for themselves, how could that be a bad thing? Why wouldn't we want those voices to be included? Why wouldn't we also want to hear the perspective of people who have been in prison for a long time, several of whom were juvenile lifers, which means that they've not only been in prison for decades, but they've been in prison since they were juveniles for a crime that they, at least the, they were sentenced to never be forgiven for. 
Remember, the Illinois Department of Corrections did not try to limit the topics these men could discuss. They didn't ask for more control of the class. They didn't ask to approve the curriculum in advance. They chose to disband the program and ban the teacher from ever being inside the prison again, despite almost universal uh, support for the program and several press outlets saying what a good program it was. If Miss Burlett or the inmates did something wrong, the DOC should be honest and tell them what they did wrong, or at least give them the option to try something new. Because for those inmates, this was a transformative event and was important in their life. And this is what it comes back to. Prisons are black boxes. We talk about this all the time. The prisons don't want disinfecting sunlight. They don't want honesty. They don't want real discussion. They don't want anyone to see what's going on. And they don't want their power disrupted. The power over life, death, and time in America's criminal justice system. If there is one thing I want everyone to demand, it is for prison transparency to become a real thing. As long as prison administrators are allowed to operate entirely in secrecy, we will continue to see absolute power corrupt absolutely in our prisons and jails. I also really hope, just for the guys, if you've watched the video from the the, the television clip or you've read any of the stories, those guys were learning in that class. Those guys were speaking for themselves. Those guys were learning how to present cogent arguments. This was a transformative event for them, and they were becoming a real debate team. I want those guys to be able to continue to speak in their own voices, speak truth to power, and start to formulate arguments for how they can exist in a world that's different than the one that they've lived in since they've been locked in prison. Okay, that's it for this week. As always, you can find the show notes at decarcerationnation.com. If you want to support the podcast directly, you can do so from patreon.com slash onpiratesatellite. That's one word. You can also support us by leaving a five-star review from iTunes or Stitcher or like us on Spotify. Thanks so much for listening to the Decarceration Nation podcast. See you next time.